You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. Would you please welcome the wonderful Sarah Walker. Um, what I have to tell, I'm not actually sure if it's a story, okay? It appears to me to be a big pile of three different things. So bear with me, maybe it will turn out to be a story when we get to the end of it. The first thing is hair, the second thing is dreams, and the third thing is houses, okay? Hair, dreams, houses. I'll do the hair first. I haven't always had hair like this. For most of my life, since I was about 10, I had really long, thick hair. It was waist length, apart from when it was hip length. The last time another human being cut my hair was September of 1984. I feel I ought to celebrate that as an anniversary. This all changed in 2014 when I was being treated for cancer. I had surgery, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and I'm fine. Okay? I think the applause should actually be for the medical staff who did that, because I was not fighting a battle, I was the battlefield. And one thing that everybody said before I started chemo is, it's a pity you'll lose your hair. And they were right. Because after the first session of chemo, my hair, not only on my head, but everywhere, just jumped off. And I woke up one morning and the whole sheet, the undersheet, was full of follicles. And for about a year and a half, I was either wearing a headscarf, which was very interesting, because I got called a fucking Muslim in the street, which was interesting... Uh, But some of the time, I wore a wig. And it was a new departure for me because it was short and sassy. And it was a sort of coppery brown colour, which is not my natural colour or any colour I would necessarily dye my hair. It made me look like my mother, which surprised me because my whole shtick has been, I don't look like my mum, I look like my dad, who had dark hair, but not waistline as far as I know. So that's for hair. Bear that in mind. Dreams. Since I was a child, I've had serial dreams. I don't know if anybody knows. It's not dreaming about breakfast. It's dreaming about the same thing over and over again. The earliest ones I can remember, I was about eight, rotting corpses to the horizon, and I had to thread my way through them. That dream has come back many times. I think Possibly, I had just discovered the possibility of nuclear holocaust. That may have had something to do with it. But from the age of about 18, 19, when I first left home, I had a new type of serial dream, which I still have today. And that's dreams of houses and rooms. 
and corridors. And in my dream, even though it doesn't look anything like it, it seems to be the house I grew up in. And I know why I started having this dream. When I went away from home, for the first time in my life, I was talking to people who didn't know me and my family. And as people used to, they'd say, what does your dad do? And I would have to say, well, he's, he decomposes. Because he died when I was 14. He died very suddenly. Nobody was expecting it. And when, five years later, I had for the first time to talk to people who didn't know that, I realised that I couldn't remember him. I couldn't remember his face. And he was a very involved father. But this is what happens if you have a sudden shock or a bereavement when you're a kid. You blank it. You blank it. I had done that. It's probably a good thing. But it means that it comes back to haunt you. So my first year at university, I was dreaming about my dad all the time. And sometimes it was very distressing, and sometimes it wasn't. Overall, it was a really good thing, because it meant I could remember him, and I could do the work I hadn't been able to do when I was 14. And those dreams took place in the house I grew up in. Sometimes in the garden, I'd be seeing him going up in a balloon, waving goodbye to him. Sometimes in the rooms, probably seen as I'd seen them when I was about three, you know, a huge floor and my face very close to the floor and my dad's voice somewhere overhead. And sometimes rooms that don't exist in the house in various forms. And although I don't often dream about my dad now, I still dream about that house. And I still see rooms and stairs, the garden with an apple tree, that even though it doesn't look like it was, I know it's the house I grew up in. And this isn't surprising, because I think if there's a place on the planet I know better than any other, it's that house because I knew it for 41 years. I was brought there when I was a couple of days old. My brothers and I grew up there. My dad died there when we were kids. My mother went on living there as a widow. Then she remarried and continued to live there. And 20 years ago this month, she went to bed with a headache and died. She had just turned 80. She'd lived in that house all those years. And so my brothers and I were always coming back, Christmases or birthdays, or depending on how we felt about each other. I came back from the Middle East where I was working for the funeral. I helped my brothers clear the house. And I shut the door on that house for the last time in February 2002. So that's nearly 42 years. In 2015, having recovered from, or feeling I was recovered from my cancer and my cancer treatment, and wearing my sassy short wig, 
I tried to pick up the sort of disjointed threads of what I used to refer to as my career <laughs> when I was kidding myself. And to do that, I went to a conference in Manchester. Don't know if you know Manchester, it's a brilliant city. It's a great place for conferences. And where the conference for my lot was, there were about three other conferences happening at the same time. And the bars were full of people networking. And I am so crap at networking, I spent my evening talking to people from a different conference <laughs> who had nothing to do with the profession I was trying to claw my way back into. Bear in mind, I'm wearing my wig. And I got talking to this guy. This bunch of people, really. And because we were middle-class professionals, and because we didn't have a lot in common, we talked about what people talk about, which is the price of houses. <laughs> how difficult it is to find a decent house. And one of the people in this group had fairly recently bought a house. And as we talked about it, I became convinced it was a house in the place I grew up. And then when he told me where the bus route was and where the shops were and the school at the top of the road, I realised it was the street my parents' house was on. And then he said that it was a 1930s house. And there are only two of those in the road I grew up on. Ours was one of them. Next door was the other. I didn't say anything. I didn't say, that was my house! <laughs> I just asked questions and he talked in the way you talk when you're never going to see that person again. And he said he was very happy with the house he bought, but he sometimes felt that there was a visitor there. I think he said visitor. Somebody there who wasn't really there. He'd occasionally catch a glimpse of a person and then they wouldn't be there. His wife had said the same thing. And I thought, well, houses supposedly don't have an atmosphere unless somebody's been born or died there. And I don't know of anybody who was born there, but I do know my mum died there. I thought, is she still around <laughs> in some shape or form? So I said, what's the visitor like? And he said, well... Sometimes it's just the feeling that someone's just gone out of the room, was just about to come into the room. But sometimes, when you look out of the back window in the garden, there's an apple tree, he said. And I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that? <laughs> sometimes in the evening, he thinks that there's a woman standing under the apple tree who has waist-length dark hair. Sarah Walker! Thank you so much. True Stories Live is a story show and story-finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website, truestorieslive.co.uk. We're super grateful to be supported by Arts Council England, Norfolk County Council and Writer Centre Norwich.